This is Dr. Benny Tate, and I would like to thank you for tuning in to this week's message at Rock Springs Church. Wherever you are, I hope this message encourages you and helps you grow in your walk with God. Here's this week's message from Rock Springs Church. Psalms 51. David sinned. His restoration, his repentance, his recovery is found in Psalms 32 and Psalms 51. Psalms 51 verses 1 through 4. David said, Have mercy upon me, God, according to thy loving kindness, according to the multitude of thy tender mercies. Blot out my transgressions. Wash me. What will wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. But what if after you become a Christian, you mess up? What will wash away my sins? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Look, what will make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Amen? Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. For I've acknowledged my transgressions. My sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. That thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. Let us pray. Jesus, I'm keenly aware today that I need your anointing. I'm keenly aware today that I'm just a fleshly man. And God, unless you inhabit my lips and my heart and my words, it will be vanity and vexation. But if you choose, God, just to anoint me, yokes will be broken, lives will be changed, people will be transformed. I've been doing it long enough to know, God, that we need your touch. We need your anointing more than we need anything else. So hide us in the cross of Calvary that people might see Jesus. And for all you do, we're going to praise you. For I pray this prayer with a grateful heart. For I pray this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I want to talk to you about overcoming guilt. Overcoming guilt. A man penned a letter to the IRS. Inside the letter, he uh, put a check for $2,500. And he said in the letter, he said, uh, I've been cheating on my taxes for the past two or three years. And I feel guilty. And I can't sleep. And he said, after I've done this, if I continue to feel guilty and can't sleep, I will mail you the remainder of what I owe you. <laughs> Irma Bombeck said, the great theologian, that guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. Guilt is the gift that keeps on giving. You know, pastoring now for decades, as I've dealt with people, I've noticed guilt seems to be something that seems to consume people. People are controlled by it and it dominates their lives. They, they wonder about things. Did I, did I give up too soon? Did I, did I give up too soon? What might have happened if I just stuck in there? People 
are guilty and feel like I've let other people down. I let my family down. I let my church down. I let my community down. I feel so guilty. I've had a lot of young ladies through the years that would come to me and say, Pastor, I've had an abortion. And I feel so guilty because of that. My heart goes out to them. I want you to know that's not the unpardonable sin. I want you to know that God forgives. I want you to know that God loves you. I want you to know that God cares about what you're going through. People will say, Pastor, I've messed up in this relationship or had an affair, went through a divorce. And I, I just wonder, Pastor Benny, is there any hope for me? I've filed bankruptcy. I, 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 Pastor Benny, I just feel, feel so very guilty. 2003, something happened that, to be honest with you folks, I never got over. A young lady was in our church, and she sent me this email, and I, it was printed off, and I've, I've kept this email all these years. She was 30 years old. She was married, and she had three little children. And she sent me this email, and she said uh, in the email, I won't read it all, but she said, Pastor, I wish I could have had a happier life. And then she talked about, she said, Pastor, the biggest mistake of my life I'm bringing to you today, the biggest mistake of my life I'm, I'm, I'm bringing to you today. And she went on to describe what the mistake was, and certainly I'll not deal with that. She said, Pastor, I can't take back or change what I did. She said, I'm so ashamed. I'm so tired. I, I, I feel so guilty. And then she went on in the email. She said, Pastor, will you help with my family? Because they're going to need you. Would you help with my three children? Because they're going to need you. She wrote that email. She pushed sin. She went out and got in her automobile, took a gun, placed it to her chest, ended her life. Three or four days later, I preached her funeral. I looked down and I saw a husband and I saw three little children. And what rode in my mind, she never did get past the guilt. Guilt killed her. Now here's what I know, folks. Guilt may not take your physical life, but guilt many times takes people's emotional life. Guilt many times takes people's spiritual life. Many times people are just consumed and controlled by this issue. They're constantly beating themselves up over things that there's no way they can change. Now I want to make two quick statements and then I want to give you some material today that's, that's very important. Statement number one that is so important. You can get past guilt no matter what you've done. You can get past guilt no matter what you've done. You say, Pastor, why do you know that? Well, there was a man in the Bible. His name was Paul. And in Philippians chapter 3, verse 6, he talked about what he did. This man killed Christians. I mean, literally, he took innocent lives of Christian people murdered Christian people. 
Now, I think most people listening to me today would say, Brother Benny, I've never done anything that bad. I, I've never done anything that bad like I just killed innocent Christian people. But he said that in verse 6. But seven verses later in verse 13, look what he said. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended or laid hold on, but this one thing I do, I'm forgetting those things which are behind, and I'm reaching forth unto those things which are before. You know what he said? I'm not going to be controlled by past. I'm not going to be controlled by guilt. I've killed Christians. I did wrong, but it's under the blood of Jesus Christ. And I've asked God to forgive me. So I'm forgetting those things which are behind me. And when I say forget, not that you develop amnesia, but I just choose not to think about those things. I choose to put my mind on something else. I choose to put my mind on God's plan for my future. I want to say to you today, I want to say to you today, no matter what you've done, no matter what you've done in the past, I want to give you encouragement as I start to preach. You can get past the guilt. Let me tell you the second thing. Now, this is deep. I wouldn't share this if I didn't have an earned doctorate. Here's the second statement I want to make. All people sin. All people sin. That's why there's so much bad in the best of us and there's so much good in the worst of us. It hardly behooves any of us to talk about the rest of us. Because all people sin. There's a, there's a school in South Georgia, true story, called ABAC. ABAC. It's in South Georgia. And ABAC, true story, got a basketball coach that was a wonderful, godly man. And he wanted to expose his young players to good stuff. And I do agree, it's easier to build boys than it is to men men. And he wanted to expose his young players to a good environment. So he said, I'm going to take my basketball team to church. Want them to be in church. He had one boy on his team. He had never been in church. He wasn't anti-church. He just didn't know. I don't know if he was a, I, I don't know what the, uh, a foreign exchange student. I don't know what the situation, but he just never been to church. But needless to say, the coach took him to church. And the preacher was somewhat like Benny Tate. He would get excited when he preached. And he got excited. And the preacher started pointing at people. And he said, you're a sinner. And you're a sinner. And you're a sinner. And you're a sinner. And he got to that old boy who had never been to church. And he pointed at him and he said, you're a sinner. He said, no, I'm not. I'm a guard. <laughs> but the truth is, ladies and gentlemen, we're all sinners. Now look, according to 1 Samuel 13 and 14, and according to Hebrews 13 and 22, there was a, but one man in the entire word of God who had a heart after God. Only one, not Paul, not Moses, not Jeremiah, not Daniel, not Joseph, just one. His name was David. But David committed a gross sin. Because ladies and gentlemen, 
We're all sinners. 1 John 1 and 8 says this. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth's not in us. Now look, since it's just us here this morning, how many of you would say, Pastor Benny, I've ever, I have told a lie in my life. Now look, the people who didn't raise their hands, they're liars. <laughs> yeah. You say the guy didn't beside me, he didn't raise his hand, you better watch your wallet. <laughs> because listen, folks, we're all sinners to some level. But get this, David, this man that I'm preaching about that got past this guilt, let me tell you what he did. He committed adultery. He deceived. He lied. He murdered. He did every bit of that. But he got past it. He got past it. And the good news is, we can too. Whatever our sin is, whatever our guilt, whatever the devil's beating us up over, the good news is we can get past it. Now, look here. I, I'm not going to camp here long, but I want us to take just a few moments, and I want us to look. I've told you about David's sin, but I want us to look at what got David in trouble <laughs> because it's so good, folks. Because it's the very same things that get us in trouble. Now, look what the Bible says. And it came to pass after the year was expired, at the time when the kings go forth to battle, that David said to his nephew, Joab, you take the servants, you take the men, and you battle. And they did. They destroyed the children of Ammon and besieged Rabbah. But look, David tarried in Jerusalem. David tarried in Jerusalem. Look what the next verse says. And it came to pass at evening time that David arose from off his bed and walked upon the roof of the king's house. And from the roof, he saw a pretty woman. You said, Brother Benny, you don't know she's a pretty woman. Yes, I do. Because the devil's not going to tempt you with an ugly woman. <laughs> now look. And she was bathing. And the woman was very beautiful. I told you. <laughs> was very beautiful. To look upon. And you know the story. David said, get her for me. She became pregnant. David tried to cover it up. Tried to cover it up for nine months. But let me tell you something, folks. When we cover it, God uncovers it. And when we uncover it, God covers it. Now, what do we learn? What do we learn from this man, David? Oh, because this is so good. What got David in trouble? He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. And if you're at the wrong place 
at the wrong time, you have a propensity to get in trouble. But if you're not at the wrong place, at the wrong time, you won't do the wrong thing. The kings go forth to battle. David tarried in Jerusalem. When he should have been out there battling, he tarried in Jerusalem. Ladies and gentlemen, we get in trouble when we're at the wrong place at the wrong time. We get in trouble when we're at the wrong place at the wrong time. A guy goes to the doctor. The doctor says, your arm's broke. He says, what do you mean? He said, well, your arm's broken in two places. He said, doc, what do you recommend? The doc said, stay out of those places. <laughs> James Dobson said, never underestimate the power of chemistry between a man and a woman. The wrong place at the wrong time. We get in trouble if we do that. Second thing I want you to see, ladies and gentlemen, he put down his weapon. See, they, they went forth to battle. But, but where was David? He tarried in Jerusalem. Joab was out there with his weapon, but David tarried in Jerusalem. Hebrews 4 and 12 says, for the word of God is quick and powerful. Ladies and gentlemen, that's why we need the word of God in our lives. That's why you need the word of God in your heart, because the word of God is your weapon. That's why the Bible says in Matthew 26 and 41, watch and pray. The chin are not into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. The word of God in prayer is a weapon. That's why we need to make sure that we read our Bibles and that need, we need to make sure we pray. Pray till you want to pray. What begins by desire has to be maintained by discipline. He was at the wrong place at the wrong time. He, he put down his weapon. And the third thing I want you to see, he wasn't with the right people. Look what the scripture says. Joab, his nephew said, I'm going to go out and battle. But David was all alone by himself. Now, I, I, I think people have probably been irritated with me on this. But I'd have to take half of a baby aspirin to rest. You said, Pastor Benny pushes us to come to church because the church needs us. I push you to come to church because you need the church. I push you to come to church because you need the church. Pastor pushes us because he needs people to serve. I've never pushed you because I need people to serve. I've pushed you because you need to serve. You need to serve. Every person needs to serve. And let me just say this, folks. Oh, David got in trouble when he was tearing in Jerusalem. And I thank God, folks. I thank God for the online audience. But for God's sake, if you're physically able to get in church, 
If you're physically able to get in church, it's time to get back in church. You say, Pastor, are you talking to me? If you're going to work, if you're going to restaurants, if you're going shopping, if you're going to ball games, you can come to the house of the Lord. Get real. What matters to us anyway? Oh, I will. Don't worry. Now, I don't want to camp here too long. I, I want to talk to you. Pastor, you, you, you're talking to us about the guilt trip, and you're talking to us about David's guilt trip. How do we, how do we get over our guilt? I, I'm not going to preach much longer. Two simple steps. Number one, you've got to be honest about your fault. You've got to be honest about your faults. Get, get this, folks. Somebody said, Pastor Benny... I think everybody ought to be comfortable down at the church. Where did we get that? Where did we get? Listen, when, this is what I'm trying to do, folks. I'm trying to comfort the afflicted and to afflict the comfortable. I, I'm not convinced that God's interested in Benny being comfortable. I think God's interested in Benny's heart being challenged and Benny moving up a little closer and a little closer and a little closer. I believe that's what he's interested in. Get this. True guilt's good. True guilt comes from God. True guilt comes from God. And what true guilt does, true guilt will pinpoint the sin in your life. You'll come to church and, man, you'll feel like, my goodness, I feel like I'm in a phone booth with, Jehovah, with three Jehovah Witnesses. I mean, I'm so... I mean, you'll be uncomfortable. And you say, what is that? That's the Holy Spirit of God dealing with our hearts. And what does God want us to do when he deals with us? He wants us to bring that to the Lord and say, God, I've sinned, but I want to be right with you. I want to be at peace with you. That's wonderful, by the way. That's good. But then there's false guilt, pseudo guilt. It comes from the devil. And here's the difference. When God deals with you, he pinpoints the sin. When the devil deals with you, he pinpoints your personhood. He doesn't deal with the sin. He says, you're no good. He says, you're of no value. He says, you're a, pearl, a, a terrible excuse for a Christian. You're a terrible ex, ex, excuse for a father, for a mother, for a friend. He, he, he deals with our personhood. There, there's something, folks, there, there's a message here. Winston Churchill said the price of greatness is responsibility. And if you look at the scriptures, look what David did. Have mercy upon me. Look, blot out my transgressions. Look, wash me, mine iniquity, cleanse me. My sin. Do you see what he was doing, folks? He was simply owning it. He said, no, no, it's, it's me. We, 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 we can't get better until we're honest with our faults. See, why did he say all that? Because for nine months, he tried to hide and cover it up. 
And you do with two things with sin. You cover it or confess it. And for nine months, he just tried to shove it under the rug. You've heard the story. I've told it before about Tom and Jane. Tom and Jane were living together, and Tom and Jane said, we're just friends. There's nothing between us. But mom went over for dinner, and she saw how Tom looked at Jane and how Jane looked at Tom. Do you ever think about this, folks? You ever seen two people and hanky-panky's going on? And they think nobody sees it. And the truth is, everybody sees it. <laughs> Amen. So mom came over for dinner, and they had a wonderful dinner. And two or three nights after the dinner, Jane said, Tom, I don't, I'm not saying this. I'm, I'm, I'm uncomfortable even doing it. But since your mother's been here, I can't find our silver tray. I'm not saying your mother took our silver tray. I'm not saying she didn't take our silver tray. I'm just saying... I had those hors d'oeuvres on that silver tray, and I can't find the silver tray. He said, I'll take care of it. So he sent Mom an email, and he said, Mom, I'm not accusing you of anything. I just want you to know, since you came for dinner, we can't locate the silver tray. You know, just can't locate it. And I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just saying it. And she mailed him back, and she said, uh, Tom, uh, uh, I'm not saying you're sleeping with Jane. But I'm not saying you're not sleeping with Jane. But what I am saying, if Jane was sleeping in her own bed, she would have found her silver tray. <laughs> now listen, folks, if we're going to get better, we got to get honest about the silver tray. Amen? Whatever the silver tray is in my life and whatever the silver tray is in your life, we got to be honest about our faults. Quit blaming your brother. Quit blaming your sister. Quit blaming somebody else. Own it. Just own it. There's power in just owning it. Hey, I want to give you another news flash. We've got a no-fault divorce. There's no such a thing as a no-fault divorce. Somebody's at fault. If somebody wasn't at fault, we wouldn't be getting a divorce. I don't know what's getting me on all that. Now look. Be honest with your faults. But then there's a second thing I want you to see. Be happy because of forgiveness. Be happy because of forgiveness. See, folks, when we ask God to forgive us, let me tell you what he does. Three quick things. Number one, he removes your sin. Your sin is cast as far as the east is from the west, never to be remembered against you. Not only does God remove your sin, but God wants to restore your joy. He wants to restore your joy. And number three, he wants to refocus your future. In Psalms 51 and 13. Jared, we, we overlook this. 
the most famous scripture in the Bible, but we miss this. David sinned greatly. David sinned greatly. But he experienced restoration. He sinned greatly. And we quickly read through Psalms 23 and 3. He restoreth my soul. He restoreth my soul. David said, I know something about restoration. See, folks, guilt, guilt is because we did something bad. But if we're not awful careful, guilt leads to shame. And it's not I did something bad. It's when we get to the point we say, I am bad. And the enemy wants you to connect your action with your identity. And the enemy wants you to say, I am bad. I'm of no good. You say, well, Pastor Benny, how do I, how, how do I move past this? How do I move past this? It's this simple, folks. This is so important. Please, I wish nobody would move. Because this is so important. This is so important. How, how can I get past the guilt, Brother Benny? You've got to accept the gift. What do you mean? Well, look what the Scripture says. The gift of righteousness. What would be the gift of righteousness, Pastor Benny? Well, I want to ask you something. 2,000 years ago when Christ died, how many sins had you committed? None. They were all in the future. That's why 2 Corinthians 5 and 21 says, For he hath made him to be sin for us, who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If it wasn't for my Methodist dignity, I'd shout on that one. See what we do, folks. We do what the people were trying to do in Romans chapter 10, verse 3. We try to establish our own righteousness. We try to be good enough. Or some of us feel like this. In light of what I've done in my life, I've got to be miserable all my life. I've got to punish myself all my life. I've got to beat myself up all my life. And what you're trying to do, you're trying to establish your own righteousness. But what you have to do is accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And when you come to God and ask Him to forgive you. Ladies and gentlemen, listen. He gets your sin, but you get His righteousness. And when God sees you, He doesn't see that mess up in your life. He sees you as righteous. He sees you right with Him. God is so wonderful. 
God is so wonderful. Romans 8 and 28 says this. Wait. He works all things together for good. Wait. He works the abuse. He works the addiction. He works the altercation. He works the affair. He works it all for good. God didn't say it was good. But God said, I take everything that's ever happened to you and I work it together for good. And folks, if God works all things for good, that means he wants us to go on. Even after we've messed up. Because he's working all things for our good. He's working all things for our good. This week I was alone and I read a scripture and I almost lost it. I had my best time. See, I found out, folks, if, if I don't have a good worship experience before church, I don't have a good worship experience at church. Early this morning, I wish you could have been with me. At 5 o'clock, I, I wish you could have heard it. C.C. Winans and myself, all alone in the gym, just singing about the goodness of God. I wish you could have heard it. I hope C.C. and I can get together sometime and do it. Can sing together. I just think it'd be great. But we had such a good time. But there's a verse this week. It's, it's given, look, folks, I tell a new Christian, when you get saved, where do you start? Start in the book of John. Don't start in the book of Matthew. Dealing with all those genealogies is going to confuse you. But I was reading Matthew. And it says, and Jesse. Remember that was David's father. He begat Jesse. <laughs> he begat David the king. Look. And David begat Solomon. Of her who had been the wife of Uriah. So God took two people. <laughs> Jesus said, my bloodline is from two people that messed up. <laughs> two people named David and Bathsheba. I happened to be from that bloodline. <laughs> Jesus said, I came from that bloodline of two people that messed up. You know what that tells me? That tells me it's not the plan of God for you to stay in the mess up. It tells me it's the plan of God for you to mess on, to move on. It's the plan of God for you to have a future. I tell you a story and I'm done. I tell you a story. Johnny and Sally went to the grandparents to spend a few days. And Johnny had just got a slingshot, but he really didn't know how to shoot the slingshot. And he was missing everything. And grandmother had a beautiful pet duck. It was a big duck. And Johnny pulled that slingshot back and he shot, <laughs> just nailed that duck. <laughs> you had a dead duck. I mean, it was dead. 
And Johnny grabbed that duck and thought, oh my goodness, this is grandmother's most prized possession. And he took it over to the wood pile and he hid that duck in the wood pile. But Sally watched every bit of it. She saw what Johnny did. And that night they had a good supper down on the farm. And grandmother said, it's time to clean the dishes up. And she said, grandmother, Johnny wants to wash the dishes. He said, I do not. She said, remember the duck? So Johnny washed the dishes. The next morning, grandfather said, we got to start a fire. You grandbabies go get the wood in. She said, Papa, Johnny wants to get the wood in. Johnny said, ah, she said, remember the duck. That went on for two or three days. Finally, Johnny reached his wits end and he went to his grandmother and he said, grandmother, I, I, I just want to apologize. I had this new slingshot and grandmother, I shot and I killed your duck. She said, stop, Johnny. When you shot the duck, I was looking out the window. I saw you, Johnny, kill the duck. I saw you, Johnny, take the duck and put it in the wood pile. I saw you cover the duck up. And she said, Johnny, the moment you did it, I forgave you. The moment you did it, I loved you. The moment you did it, I forgave you. But Johnny, I was just wondering, how long was you going to let Sally make a slave out of you? Was you going to let Sally make a slave out of you? I want to report to you that Jesus didn't come to rub your sins in. He came to rub them out. I want to report to you that God has forgiven of you. Don't let guilt make a slave out of you. You're free in Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us for this week's message from Rock Springs Church. If you would like more information about Rock Springs, be sure to follow us on social media or connect with us at rockspringsonline.com. Join us right here next week for another message from Rock Springs Church.